right, I think we'll um, go ahead and begin. Thank you for coming out today on this uh, sunny day. Good to, good to have such a good turnout. Um, for those of you who have been here before, you'll know that we are generously supported by the British Society of Aesthetics, and we're grateful to them for uh, continuing to support the London Aesthetics Forum. Today, we're very happy to have Dan Eugen Ratsu uh, from Babish Boliai, is that yeah. decent pronunciation? Babish uh, yeah. um, In Romania. Uh, he's going to be speaking about everyday aesthetic experience and the life world. Um, we've had a speaker earlier this year who had a joint PhD, but Dan can even up this because he has two PhDs, <laughs> uh, one from Romania and one that he did in Paris. Uh, he's the author of several books, uh, some in French and, and in English as well. Uh, article and articles, books many articles, in Romanian and French. many articles as well. Uh, he specializes in um, everyday aesthetic experience, but has written on some other topics as well. And we're very grateful to have him. Thank you very much, Andrew. Thank you very much for inviting me here at uh, London Aesthetics Forum. Thank you all for being present to attend my talk in this nice sunny day. <laughs> so, uh, just a brief presentation, an abstract of my talk. Uh, my talk will critically review the recent attempts for setting a better theoretical grounding for the new research area called everyday aesthetics or aesthetics of, of everyday life, uh, which I call hereafter EA. Uh, given the persistent weakness and its conceptual foundation, a philosophical reflection is crucial for such endeavor. So I claim first that many of these attempts still are impeded by shortcomings not rooted in inappropriate conceptualization of the key targets, the aesthetic experience, the experiencing self, and the everyday. And two, that it is possible to improve the analytical framework for approaching everyday aesthetic life by clarifying EA's underpinning assumption and open questions, such as the nature of everyday aesthetic experience, the dialectic of continuity and discontinuity in the flux of one experiences, and the relation between the subjective private and intersubjective dimensions of everyday life. So this claim is supported by means of some insights on the essential structure of the aesthetic experience and the characteristic of life and of life world supported by practical philosophy and by phenomenology. Uh, I will start with a brief overview of um, aesthetics and its descent. Uh, maybe you are familiar or you are not familiar, so I will just briefly introduce you in this new area of research. In brief, everyday aesthetics has developed as a new research area interested in the aesthetic character of everyday life or experience against previous neglect by art-centered theory, particularly within the analytical tradition. Instead, the scope and realm of aesthetics are expanded to incorporate various phenomena, objects, and practices of everyday life, and to include not only reflective contemplation and states of mind, but also sensual and bodily pleasures, the so-called lower senses of smell, taste, and touch, as well as unpleasant or negative emotional states, such as boredom, ambivalence, confusion, and minor moments or behaviors of private life. You have there some of the authors, uh, one of, some of the main authors in this line, like Saito, Mandoki, Sherry Irving, Arno Berliant, um, 
Charles Dowling, Thomas Leddy, Kevin Melchior, and there are many others, but there are some of the, the authors which are <coughs> involved in this uh, research area. Yet, this movement is heterogeneous since it follows different traditions, continental, analytic, pragmatist, and defends conflicting accounts of some core practical and theoretical issues. Among these issues are the defining characteristic of the everyday and the aesthetic, tainted by tensions or opposition between daily and rare, familiarity and strangeness, ordinary and extraordinary, private subjective and public intersubjective, as well as the aesthetic credential of some daily ordinary qualities or experiences, as well as the blurring line between art and life as noticed, for example, by Yuriko Saito in the latest overview of everyday aesthetics in 2015. The ongoing debate also regards the demarcation of genuine aesthetic phenomena and thus the proper scope of the EA. The results are often divergent. Some accounts focus mainly on objects rather than on activities, persons or human interactions, while others take opposite stances. For example, Katya Mandoki in her book Everyday Aesthetics 2007 contends against mainstream analytic aesthetics. I quote, what we are dealing with here are not the objects but the subjects that relate in a particular manner to their surroundings in terms of their sensibility as it is from them, these subjects, whom the aesthetic dimension is projected. Yet, one of the most consequential disagreements is that between the so-called strong and weak or moderate formulation of EA, or aesthetics of daily life intuition, as are called by Dowling 2010, concerning the relationship between aesthetics of everyday life and aesthetics of art. The moderate account, for example, those, that of Leddy, of Dowling, and many others, uh, holds a monist framework for aesthetic discourse and a concept of the aesthetic integrating both differences and resemblances between the aesthetics, uh, between everyday and life, such the normative aspect, which is able to secure the significance of the aesthetic and to support a communicable experience consistent with a compelling view on intersubjectivity. Uh, the more radical or strong version, for example, Saito, Yuriko Saito, Kevin Melchioni, holds instead the pluralist account that challenges the regular assumption of art-centered aesthetics and the model of a spectator-like experience, a special experience, aiming at a radical rethinking of the realm of aesthetic, everyday aesthetic life, which is replaced, which in view of Saito, for example, should replace the concept of aesthetic attitude, which is constructed in relation to the art. In this view, EA requires aesthetic insights and concepts completely distinct from those needed to account uh, for art. This notion is founded on the assumption that everyday aesthetic experience operates independently discontinued and isolated from the experience of art, thus alleging a relation of exclusion between art world, which is public, and our life world, which is private whose intersubjective dimension is either ignored by Saito or is explicitly put into brackets by Melchioni. There is nonetheless an increasing awareness 
uh, of the importance of theoretical stances and vigorous demands for conceptual clarification also occur in this area of research. For instance, the question of what is actually the nature of the everyday, as contrasted with the non-everyday, is freshly raised by Osinal Karinen in the article What is Everyday in Everyday Aesthetics, 2013. He provides an interesting description and a figure which summarizes the central aspects of what, of what he calls my everyday now with its positive and negative breaks, sudden or slow, and explore how they affect some key points of the EA. In a sequel of 2017, entitled Creating and Experiencing the Everyday Through Daily Life, co-authored by Vasquez, Naukarinen emphasizes the relational nature of the everyday and non-everyday, and the difference between the former and the daily life, insofar as the everyday is seen as an attitude, as I quote, merely one special mode of being that is situated, specialized and interpretative, separate from the lived daily life towards, it, towards which it orients us. Uh, <clears throat> yet, this approach, which aims to challenge the traditional conception of aesthetics itself by beginning with the everyday rather than the aesthetic, left unexplored precisely the aesthetic aspect of everyday and uh, daily life. Uh, the lively debate on the nature of everyday aesthetic experience, and consequently EA's proper definition and scope, is carried on in recent issues of contemporary aesthetics, the uh, last three years, for example. Uh, John Dewey's Art and the, and the Artist Experience, 1934, and his distinction between ordinary experiences, which are continuous but distracted, uh, dispersed, and what he calls un-experience, a closed, unified moment standing out for the, are the ordinary humdrum, is a key reference. Some theorists in line with him hold the thick concept of the everyday and defend the continuity hypothesis and an expansive approach to EA, that is including the entire range of aesthetic experiences from the ordinary to extraordinary and arguing for continuities and the dynamic interaction between the aesthetics of everyday life and art over a re so-called restrictive concept and discontinuistic approach that focuses on some core ordinary activities which are ongoing, common, or widely shared, uh, which, uh, uh, sorry, and mostly pursue in private. Is the case, for example, Ledi versus, uh, Thomas Ledi versus Melchioni, Thomas Ledi 2050 versus Melchioni 2014. Or, Others defend the pragmatist view of everyday aesthetic experience, attentive to the aesthetic rhythm of the everyday, which makes an aesthetic experience, in the dual sense, not quite an exception to the quotidian flow of experience over the theories that build an EA on the ordinariness or the everydayness of the everyday, and see its aesthetic character as constituted by a particular feeling of familiarity. It's, for example, the case of Puolaka, 2014-2015, versus Saito, 2007, and Hapala, 2005. Uh, <clears throat> an appropriate conceptualization and methodology to account for daily aesthetic responses and phenomena 
phenomena also represent a pressing issue for Jane Forsey in the article The Promise, the Challenge of Everyday Aesthetics, 2014. Forsey, who offered a praise monograph on the aesthetics of design, 2013, is nevertheless skeptical of finding resolution in philosophical tradition. Considering that, I quote, there currently is no model in the philosophical tradition that can be used to adequately capture the aesthetic texture of our responses to the ordinary, end of quote, she looks instead towards the aesthetic of design to provide a direction for a more fully conceptualized theory of the aesthetics of the everyday. Notwithstanding the promises of this appealing theory, its capacity to provide a compelling theoretical framework for this subdiscipline could only be limited by its minimalist area and postulations. That is, the particular focus on design objects rather than everyday activities and the replacements of the notion of meaning with that of function, which are grounded in a minimalist conception of the aesthetic experience and value that opposes aesthetic to practical or ethical attention and values, particularly in respect to ordinary things or experiences. Uh, recently, an overview of the developments in the aesthetics of the everyday, published in the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, winter 2015, by Yuriko Saito, uh, one of the protagonists of the EA, uh, has critically revisited its approach to the features of the everyday and the aesthetics. She suggests that the best way to capture the everyday is to locate its defining characteristics, not so much in specific kinds of objects and activities, but rather in attitude and experience we take toward them. The typical attitude is full with pragmatic considerations, while experience is generally regarded as familiar, ordinary, commonplace, and routine. Saito also advocates the inclusion of bodily sensation into the realm of the aesthetic and the return to its classificatory use or root meaning, as I quote, experience gained through sensibility, whatever its evaluative balance may be. Um, the reference to a subject intentionality The reference to a subject in intentionality, sensibility, effect, and corporeality or bodily engagement is indeed necessary when characterizing everyday aesthetic experience. However, it is not sufficient to entirely capture the complex twofold nature, both subjective and objective, of the experience, which is crucial to its proper understanding. Such shifting in focus firstly requires a revision of the concept of experience itself, as well as a reflection of the experiencing self. Unlike other authors, I do think that we can find some valuable insights on this matter in philosophical tradition, as such as practical philosophy, Hans-Georg Gadamer, uh, then uh, new claims should be made about the ontology and structure of everyday life, notably its intersubjective aspect of the dialectic of, of fragmentation and continuity, highlighted by phenomenological research on life and life world. For example, Georg Simmel, Edmund Husserl, and Alfred Schutz. Uh, as these concepts 
actually shape aesthetics accounts of everyday aesthetic life or experience, they require further discussion if EA's consistency is to be ensured. Eventually, at stake here are some critical philosophical questions, such as how to both preserve and integrate the discrete layers of experience, aesthetics, aesthetic and ethical, art-related and ordinary, within the continuity of one's experience, and how to incorporate the personal and intersubjective dimensions within the unity of one's life. A consistent conception of the whole experiencing self, the structure of one's everyday life, as well as its intersubjective dimension, is required as a compelling framework for understanding and approaching the aesthetic dimension of everyday life. So, let me begin with the aesthetic experience of the everyday. <clears throat> the major point I wish to emphasize here, Pace Saito and the others, is the twofold relational nature of experience in general, first. That is, every experience has both an objective and a subjective dimension. It can denote both the object of experience, what is experience, and the way or the how that, ob uh, that object is experienced by a subject. As uh, Richard Schusterman further points out, recognizing this relational character is crucial for any adequate conception of aesthetic experience, including, I would add, experiencing aesthetically the everyday or daily life. Uh, this central feature of the experience, once accepted, has significant implications for everyday aesthetics. First, it drives attention to the corporeality or embodied dimension of aesthetic experience, which always involves objective physiological aspects. Likewise, it allows maintaining the phenomenological character of subjective feeling and object-directed intentionality of the aesthetic experience. This cannot be a mere subjective state. It always has an intentional object of some kind, even if that object is only imaginary, as, point, as Schusterman 2006 points out. EA seems tempted to discard the later dimension once it faces, it faces the lack of a clear delineation of its objecthood, especially when having to account for, for ambience and activities or actions. See, <coughs> uh, for example, Saito's uh, overview. By approaching experience as intentional, this difficulty is overcome since its object is an ideal unity or is structured as correlative of this intentionality, not because it is a clearly de delineated physical object. Moreover, the object-directed intentionality and thus the aboutness of aesthetic experience imply a meaningful character that cannot be overlooked, as Forsey 2014 did. Aesthetic experience is not a blind sensation devoid of signification, but rather a meaningful perception. I uh, quoted here again Schusterman, 2006. Some proponents of EA, such as uh, Arnold Berlin, Thomas Levy, also hold this idea of perception as always including meaning, which is in fact largely shared. Uh, from phenomenology to hermeneutics to constructivist epistemology. 
One of chief bases is to be found in Husserl's concept of intentionality of consciousness, according to which there is, there is no empty subjective consciousness. This is always consciousness of something and constitutes meaning. Perceiving phenomena in our daily world is thus not just perception, much of it is about meaning. This explains the possibility of intersubjective communication and meaningful discussion also when experiencing aesthetically frameless objects or phenomena of uh, the daily world. <clears throat> Another core feature of experience in general is the intricate connection between its processual character as a general flow of conscious life and its fragmentation in discrete units that can be singled out from this continuum as a heightened, heightened moment of living that is reflectively appreciated as such or as an unexperienced Hinduist terms. Again, as uh, Schusterman 2006 noted. This peculiar characteristic elicited the core disagreement among EA scholars mentioned before on how to distinguish everyday aesthetic experience from the stream of humdrum ordinary experience on the one side and the standing out art-related experience on the other. Uh, in order to clarify this mix of continuity and discreteness, it is useful to call in first Gadamer's practical hermeneutical account of experience in truth and method. <clears throat> where he redefined aesthetic experience by integrating it within a universal hermeneutic process of understanding of oneself and of the other, and of the world, of course. His critique of the one-sidedness of concepts of lived experience, erlebnis, aesthetic consciousness and aesthetic differentiations, and further inquiry into the essential structure of experience, in German, Erfahrung, are crucial. This not only brings into attention the historical and dialectical or transformative elements of experience, since uh, as a hermeneutic process it includes a living relationship to its object, which is tradition mainly, and does not leave the experience, the experience itself unchanged. It also offers powerful arguments against the idea of aesthetic experience as discontinuity of experiences by showing how this is integrated into the hermeneutic continuity of one experience through the unity and continuity of self-understanding and its element of self-knowledge. Within this theoretical framework, the discreteness of one's aesthetic experiences, for example, as correlated with daily phenomena and with art, or as distinct from uh, ethics, um, uh, <clears throat> uh, moral ones, is not absolute, since all these aspects are eventually integrated into the unity and continuity of the flow of experience, hence into the whole of one's life. Likewise, in this view, human experience could also be non-repetitive, a characteristic that sheds some light on the disputed relationship between ordinary, that is regular, repetitive, non-structured, and extraordinary in everyday life uh, aesthetics. As Gadamer warned against 
It's called the dogmatism of everyday experience. Its fundamental repeatability does not abolish the historical and dialectical elements of any human experience, since it shares the paradox of being one and the same, being one and the same time, and yet being different. It is not mere repetition of the same but a new event of understanding in which both the subject and object of experience are changed or transformed. So while an EA that focuses exclusively on routine action lacks the conceptual tools to grasp and understand such subtle, transient and non-routine actions and phenomena, this grounding in practical philosophy expands EA's potential to address and integrate all our everyday aesthetic experiences and practices, both routine and non-routine, ordinary and extraordinary, as well as to track the ethical and political consequences of our aesthetic choices and to comprehensively account for them from an aesthetic perspective. Uh, a brief analysis of the German terms Erlebnis and Erfahrung, both employed to designate experience, but from different angles, is helpful for further clarification of this idea. The basic differentiation from a phenomenological point of view is, as noted by Thomas Eberle, based on Husserl, of course, that in lived experience, Erleben, our consciousness is intentionally directed to the phenomena that are now perceived. Instead, Erfahrung involves a time perspective. It is, I quote, looking back, reflecting on past lived experience. In this, we use interpretative typifying schemes to make sense of our past lived experience and thereby constitutes experiences. End of quote. In other words, these two are not opposite, but complementary modes in which our consciousness constitutes experiences. I quote, in a monothetic mode, as a unity in a single grasp, or in a polythetic mode, as they have incrementally developed step by step. Eberle 2013. The complementarity of the two modes of experience was also emphasized in a different line of thought, the life philosophy of Wilhelm Dilthey, who was the first to give a conceptual function to the word Erlebnis in his famous work Das Erlebnis und die Dichtung, 19, uh, 1922, which is translated as Poetry and Experience. This complementarity is expressed as a distinction between the immediacy with which something real is grasped, or what is directly given in consciousness as, as its ultimate unit, Erlebnis, and experience as accumulated knowledge, Erfahrung, which suggests the stock-taking of accumulated experiences, while the former suggests the ongoingness of experience. Uh, yet, as Ben Heimer notes in his book Ordinary Lives, 2011, in Dilthey's view, Erlebnis is not simply a sentient experience, but it is foundational to a sense of self, precisely because it can be singled out from the continuum of everyday life as a meaningful unit. Uh, this basic delineation could be further tinted with effective or contrasted colors, 
as for example in the case of Walter Benjamin's twofold notion of experience in his essays on Paris and some literary motifs in Baudelaire, which are collected in uh, Illuminations, his book uh, in 1969 English. In Benjamin's essays, Erfahrung suggests, I quote, the reassuring familiarity and continuity of a coherently assimilating past since it is fully integrated by the subject into a meaningfully and coherently organized experience. Inst instead, Erlebnis means for him the shock of the new, as it is criticized as sensational experience that is lived through and registered as shock or fleeting fragments of information and feeling. This intense lived experience is described by Benjamin in terms of a fusing unity between subject and object, which seems to overcome a clear distinction between the two. Yet, as uh, Schusterman notes, although such theory of fusion may suggest the idea of experience without a clear sense of a substantive subjecthood, which is allegedly dissolved in this fusion, it still maintains the phenomenological character of aesthetic experience already exposed. I quote Schusterman, 2006. <clears throat> Next, I will deal with uh, the nature and structure of the experiencing self. A caveat first. This notion does not refer to the scientific character of experience, but simply designates the subject living or having an experience. Given the philosophical framework adopted here, I prefer the concept of self to that of subject, without any psychological connotation, as, in, as for example in the distinction between experiencing self and remembering self, proposed by Daniel Kahneman in Thinking Fast and Slow, 2011, which I think is rather covered by the couple Erlebnis and uh, Erfahrung. <coughs> A question can be raised as to whether an explicit view of the selfhood is requested when approaching everyday aesthetic experience. This is indeed debatable, and in everyday aesthetics the phenomenal presence of the experiencer is usually ignored. The self is invisible, I might say, since there is no explicit account on this topic. It is true that not all philosophers share a Kantian-type approach according to which every experience presupposes by conceptual and metaphysical necessity a subject of experience as a transcendental condition and the principle of its formal unity. In current philosophy of mind, which is uh, reviewed, for example, in a recent study by Dan Zehevi, 2017, I will quote him soon. So in current philosophy of mind, there are authors such as Jesse Prince in the article Waiting for the Self, 2012, who defend a strong eliminativist position according to which there is no phenomenal I. There might be a phenomenal me, it is the self might figure as the object of a conscious experience, but as a subject of experience, it is experientially, experientially invisible. Yet it is worth mentioning that in this view, the self might be said to be present as a kind of constraint as a perspective or point of view from which we always experience the world. Instead, others defend at least an experiential minimalist, 
such as Dan's behavior in Subjectivity and Selfhood, Investigating the First Person Perspective, 2005, and Further Writings, and Gale Strawson in The Subject of Experience, 2017, according to which any experiencing is necessarily and essentially a subject-evolving occurrence. <coughs> this position is not meant to obliterate the objective dimension of experience or its phenomenological character above mentioned, but to do justice against eliminativism to the subjective character or the experiential subjectivity as an essential aspect of experience. In fact, phenomenality is both about what is being presented and about how it is being presented. I quote Zehavi 2017. So, as Zehavi recently makes clear when defending the notion of a minimal selfhood against eliminativist position in the Oxford Handbook of the Philosophy of Consciousness 2017, I quote, The claim is that all experiences, regardless of their object and regardless of their act type or attitudinal character, are necessarily subjective in the sense that they feel like something for someone in virtue of their inherent reflexive self-consciousness, in virtue of their self-presentational character, they are not anonymous, but imbued with a fundamental subjectivity and first-personal character, and the proposal has been to identify this first-personal presence, this experiential forminess, with what has been called the minimal self. This interesting proposal delib deliberately left unattending the question of the duration of the self or its diachronic identity. All Beza Zehevi concluding lies which maintains that, I quote, the experiential self should be identified with the ubiquitous dimension of personal character. And although it is not a separately existing entity, it is not reducible to any specific experience, but can be shared by a multitude of changing experiences. The heavy 2017. A proper analysis of the everyday aesthetic experience cannot ignore the question of the identity or unity of the self and its embodied dimension or corporeality, since it is not a mere mind, but also a living body. It is worth giving a clear, consistent view of the self since its lack, its lack undermines EA's potential to incorporate various layers of experience into a compelling explanatory framework and to secure an adequate comprehension of the aesthetics and ethics interrelation in everyday life. Moreover, a comprehensive view of the experiencing self could provide an answer to the question of continuity or discontinuity of experiencing aesthetically art and everyday life. E.A.'s strong postulation of the absolute discontinuity of the everyday and art-related aesthetic experience and the private character of the former imply the notion of a discontinuous or transitory or not enduring self, isolated from others, is what I call the monadic isolation premise. Since, as for the so-called deflationary or thin notion of the self, the philosophy of mind, the identity of the experiencer is so tightly linked to the identity of the experience 
which is either daily or art related, that the cessation of the experience entails the cessation of the experiential self, while the arising of a new experience entails the birth of the new self. A question arises then as to whether it is possible to address differently the so-called persistence issue and the diachronic identity and unity of the self, as well as the role of intersubjectivity thereof. In order to sketch out the nature and structure of the experiencing self, I will again draw on Gadamer's practical philosophy. This allows to freshly attending the question of identity and unity of the self, which is still open in uh, everyday aesthetics, and not so much discussed, or not at all. Through an examination of the faculties of virtue of a social and moral human being, which is also engaged in everyday aesthetic experience and appreciations. In the heavy terms, it is about a full-fledged human self, since he recognizes that the minimal account of self, uh, which concerned in the philosophy of mind, the relationship between phenomenal consciousness and selfhood, is not an exhaustive one. But there is centrally more to being a human self than being an experiential self, such as its situatedness in the space of normativity, the role of sociality in interpersonal constitution, and as well as the universality question, that is, whether all our experiences are with necessity accompanied by a sense of self. <clears throat> so, the reference to the self and the mutual, mutual implication between theoretical interest and practical actions are essential to practical philosophy. For example, if ethics is a teaching about the right way to live, it still presupposes its concretization within a living ethos. The same is true for aesthetics, if considering the dialogical and dialectical or transformative nature of aesthetic experience, and generally of the process of understanding, which, uh, this is important, is seen by Gadamer not as a specialized attitude, but as a human way of being in the world. Within the framework, framework of such a hermeneutic ontology, human being is conceived of as a dialogical subject, that is, as a self-information, open to alterations by means of dialogue with other subjects, cultures and histories. The dialogue or conversation with tradition, which encompasses institutions and life forms, as well as texts or works, entails a dialectics of self-understanding, as do other ontological characteristics captured by the Gadamerian notions of correspondence between obje subject and object and the fusion of horizons <coughs> of the present experience and tradition in the process of understanding, which is the proper achievement of language. Thus, understanding and implicitly the aesthetic experience as an experience of understanding is for Gadamer also a key means for an ontological self-constitution, which is called Bildung in, in German. So self-formation or self-constitution. Uh, the notion of Bildung, which is theoretical, practical, historical, and aesthetic, seen by Gadamer as the proper way of developing the whole self, not only one's natural talents and capacities, 
calls for the intersubjective engagement as an essential element when analyzing the subject or the self experiencing aesthetically the everyday. The idea of the idea of intersubjectivity is of special interest here, as it lay emphasis, lays emphasis on some characteristic often ignored by E.A.'s view of the self, that is, the openness to the one other, the selflessly attending to the ordinary reality of others, and the in enlargement of vision that is at stake in aesthetic experience and judgment or in noticing the everyday. Intersubjectivity is also called in by the principle of the linguistic Sprachlich nature of the human experience of the world, stated by Gadamer when posing language as the horizon of such hermeneutic ontology. For individuals are bound to one another in a community of understanding by language, in which, I quote, the individual ice membership of a particular linguistic community is worked out. This common language precedes experiences is already present in any of its acquisition and thus is at the same time a positive condition of and a guide to experience itself. Everyday aesthetic would definitely strengthen its philosophical basis by acknowledging as well this intersubjective nature of a subject's self-constitution, language and experience. This philosophical foundation has significant implications for the study of everyday aesthetic life by conveying a heuristic network of concepts, like building or self-formation, sensus communis, judgment, taste, practical knowledge, and so on, that allow us to make sense of the complex interviewing of aesthetic, ethical, and political aspects in everyday life and to clarify some of its ontological assumptions. All these aspects are in fact parts of the whole of one's life. In other words, to contemplate, decide, deliberately act and so on are experiences that only a whole human being can do. Yet it does not mean that this whole or the self is uniform, indistinct and unchanging. Rather, it means that the discreteness of experiences or aspects of life is preserved in the hermeneutic continuity of human experience, as the experiencing self is structured as a unity in division and articulation, in Gadamer's formula, or as an identity in difference. Uh, in two previous articles of uh, 2013 and 2017, uh, I defended this idea through the notion of an embodied self seen as a body and mind unity, which not only perceives, feels, reflects, deliberates, appreciates and reacts, but also decides, acts, communicates, relates with others and participates in different practices. The, concept, the conceptual framework provided by practical philosophy in that case uh, supports the account of the self as embodied and developed through cultural social interaction by emphasizing the inseparable virtues or faculties so judgment, common sense, taste of a social and moral being engaged in aesthetic experience as well as its context embeddedness and the openness to one another. 
This view of selfhood is better suited to providing a consistent framework to the analysis of an aesthetic experience grasped as intertwined with different social and cultural practices in the flux of everyday life. Apparently, all participants in the EA debate hold implicitly such conception of selfhood. Yet in some cases, mainly is Yuriko Saito and Kevin Melchioni, these compliances undermined by the monadic isolation premise they embrace when considering everyday aesthetic life as mere private, as a, as a mere private world in absolute discontinuity with the public world. Not only the art world, but also other forms of public everyday aesthetic experience, and thus ignoring or neglecting its intersubjective dimension. <coughs> <clears throat> Next, for better conceptualizing everyday life within everyday aesthetics, it is useful to call in phenological research, Husserl and Schutz, regarding the intersubjective aspect of the life world or world of lived experiences. This offers powerful lines of argument in defending a conception of the everyday as intersubjectively shared with others and thus allows us to outline a coherent ontology of everyday aesthetic life. The concept of life world, Lebenswelt, was, introdu was introduced by Husserl in his Ideas II and largely analyzed in the third part of the crisis of European sciences and transcendental phenomenology. <coughs> 1936 and uh, re edited in 1970. It enfolds a rich, multifaceted sense. It can be understood as a dynamic horizon which one leaves, a pre-given basis of all shared human experiences, and a communal world of socially, historically, and culturally constituting meanings. Hence, it includes both personal and intersubjective dimension and constitutes the unity of the flow of experience which is anterior to the discreteness of experiences and necessary to it. Within the EA accounts of the everyday, the concept of life world was already referred to by Naukarinen in the sense of a basis on which other layers of life and culture are built when developing his idea of everyday life around the kernel of my everyday now. Thus, he stresses mainly the personal dimension of the everyday. Other authors have mostly considered its intersubjective aspect, the everyday being qualified as the common ground of experience which connects individuals, activities and histories. It's the case, for example, of Stephen Johnson anthology, The Everyday Documents of Contemporary Art, in 2008. Uh, <clears throat> of course, the two dimensions of the everyday does not oppose each other but suppose each other. Likewise, the everyday should not be thought of as absolutely one and the same for all. In fact, as evidenced by phenomenological analysis, the world of everyday life is neither unique or uniform. There are always private worlds in which we find ourselves always already immersed. Yet, even if, I quote, everyday life vanishes in a changing plurality of objective context of symbolic formation that hardly could be brought together under one clear-cut name, as noted by Kokoero 2011, 
philosophy can search for common features that emerge from the background of such multiple particularities. So, the intersubjective dimension of the everyday is even strongly emphasized in the seminal analysis of Leibniz by Alfred Schutz, 1962, in the context of the problem of social reality. According to this phenological sociological viewpoint, which is summarized by Eberle, 2014, the world of everyday life is our paramount activity, reality. It's in, it is the intersubjectively shared reality of pragmatic action, where we are awake and working in standard time. The everyday world of working is the archetype of our everyday experience of reality, as distinct from other realities experienced as finite provinces of meaning, such as the personal worlds of dreams, of imagery and phantasm, as well as the world of art, of religious experience, of scientific contemplation, and so on. Thus, the everyday world is experienced as meaningful, as pre-interpreted, as, and as intersubjectively shared with others. Within such conception of the mundane world, which includes the, aesthetic, the, aesthetic, the aesthetics of everyday does not constitute a separate, finite province of meaning. <clears throat> Among the everyday aesthetic proponents, Kevin Melchioni has devoted a particular interest in developing an appropriate ontology of everyday life to ground EA. As he notes about daily life, its ordinariness and everydayness mean a flow of experiences and actions, in which the aesthetic one should not be taken as isolated, cut off slices, nor as, uh, nor as lucky, lacking aesthetic value or significance. Since, I quote, what matters is the routine habit or practice, the cumulative rather than individual effect, and how each discrete aesthetic experience is rooted in the pattern of everyday life. Uh, the pervasiveness of the aesthetic built into the fabric of everyday life and the ongoingness of its experience are, in his view, foundational for uh, properly construed everyday aesthetics. <coughs> Definitely, this characteristic can be embraced by any proponent of everyday aesthetics, strong or moderate. Uh, nevertheless, these features are then employed by Melchioni to support the idea of everyday aesthetic experience as mostly private and radically distinct from the art-standing-out public experience and world. Hence, the radical distinctiveness of everyday aesthetics concept too, which are reassessed beyond the strictures of art. <coughs> so, the interesting analysis by Melchioni of the ongoing nature of the aesthetic experience in daily, ordinary occurrences, yet in them alone, in his account, is impeded by the way in which his, this characteristic is thereafter subordinated to the idea of the overall discontinuous nature of one's aesthetic experience in everyday context against outward context. In his view, any break in the ongoing daily private aesthetic experience is also a radical change in nature for the experience itself, as I quote, everydayness substantially changes how we value our experiences. So this is because he fails to recognize the full dialectic of continuity and discreteness of experience 
in the unity or totality of one's life. It is therefore important to consider the everyday aesthetic experience as both distinct and integrated into the continuous flux of one's experiences as well as related to one, one's whole life. <clears throat> the philosophical background on which this makes sense can be sketched by drawing on Zimmel's analysis of the fragmentary character of life, which was written in 1916 and republished in 2012, which could help us to understand this dialectic of continuity and fragmentation of life words. Zimmel conceptualizes human life in a dynamic, holistic manner as an embodied stream of consciousness directed towards contents of experience. The matter of experience is shaped by forms, evolved in life's higher stages of self-reflection, and in that process, life constitutes for itself a world of mental contents. Thus, the world, according to him is a formal concept, which according to him is a formal concept, primarily designates a discrete totality of contents of mind and experience. By word, it also means the sum and order of possible things and events that can be arranged into a continuum of some kind according to any kind of overarching principle. Hence, there exists for the human mind multiple discrete and self-subsistent subsistent words of value and meaning. Not only a real word, in a practical sense of the term, but also a religious word, a scientific and an artistic word, which fundamentally share the same and all content of experience, but articulated in very different forms. As mental contents, these words are distinct from their historical realizations, which as words within the historical life remains particular and one-sided and do not achieve any full and ideal completeness as these uh, mental contents. <coughs> within this framework and considering the thesis of the parallelism of categorical words, the idea of life as fragmentary in character is a matter of perspective of life, on life, in other words, of different view of life contents. Specifically, this idea results from a view of life from the perspective of this particular discrete categorical words, which is a view of life's contents from the outside as things and events, as words and bodies of knowledge and regularities and values. According to Zimmel, life is fragmentary in the sense of a unique relationship that an individual-led life takes up to these various words that is acting at the intersection in between or oscillating between uh, these words seen as different layers of existence <coughs> and from each of them taking away only a fragment. However, a different perspective from within life as life and its dynamic process shows life as making up a whole, a self-sufficient flow of occurrences present in all its moments, in all its entirety. I quote, Always only one life pulses through these particles as bits of the same life 
inseparable from it and therefore also inseparable from each other, end of quote. From this perspective, then, life character is not fragmentary. Thus, Zimmel emphasizes the constant movement of life moments and fragments and its overcoming in the unity and continuity of one's life. Therefore, the fragmentary aspect or discontinuity of experiencing the everyday and the art as distinct life words, backed by Melchioni, is not the final single ontological feature or structure of experience of life as such. Rather, it is a matter of analytic perspective, which is complemented from a broader perspective of life as a whole by the continuity of experiencing in one's life. Moreover, the apparent paradox of completeness and fragmentation is overcome or solved in the idea of the inherent unity and continuity of life, which is made clear in this essay by Zima's idea of life as a flow of experience shaped by form, and developed later in his theory of life as limitlessly creative flow of embodied will, feeling and understanding. To sum up, this theory helps us to understand the essential structure of the everyday life world and its experiencing as constituted by the dialectic of continuity and discreteness and unity and differentiation. So, I came up to the... Sorry, uh, I forgot. So, I came up to the conclusion. This talk aimed at fostering a conceptual framework for adequately addressing the aesthetic experience of the everyday. I argued that an improved analytical framework for the new research area called everyday aesthetics can be fostered by drawing on some philosophical insights on the essential structure of the aesthetic experience, the experiencing self, and the characteristic of everyday life and life world supported by practical or pragmatic accounts such as Gadamer uh, and phenology such as Husserl, Schutz, and Zimmer. Uh, the network of concepts provided by this novel account of the everyday aesthetic experience is effective in clarifying EA's underpinning assumption and in exploring properly the different layers of experience that are integrated in the development of one's everyday aesthetic life. Basically, this account helps us to formulate a coherent ontology of everyday aesthetic life by emphasizing, first, the phenologically intentional, embodied, meaningful, and transformative character of the aesthetic experience, its contextual embeddedness, as well as its continuity in the unity of the self. Two, a view of experiencing self as embodied and an identity indifference to which the relationship to otherness is constitutive. And three, the intersubjective nature of a subject's self-constitution and experience, as well, as well as of the everyday life. Therefore, the structure of everyday aesthetic experience and the life world appears as essentially constituted by the dialectic of continuity and discreteness and unity and differentiation, similar to the structure of the experiencing self. Thank you. Thank you.